0: You are listening to audio from Creekside Community Church. If you'd like to learn more about Creekside, find out about our services and upcoming events, or listen to other sermons, please visit CreeksideCommunity.org. Let's pray as we go to the scriptures. Thank you, Father, that you have appointed us as ambassadors of Christ, as you appeal through us to all people to to believe and, and be saved, We are inadequate for this. We can't make disciples. We pray you'll give us wisdom to see what our part is and what your part is. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As most of you know, for the last three Sundays, we've been talking about making disciples, which is really at the heart of why we exist as a church and why we exist as as disciples of Christ. Um, A disciple is really a student, So let me ask you a question. Are first graders students? Okay. Are graduate students students? Yeah, so it's not the age you are, how long you've been a Christian or anything that makes you a disciple. You're a disciple, according to the Bible, because you're a believer in Christ. And Christ calls us, calls disciples to make more disciples. How do we do that? That's what we want to talk about this morning, just practically how Disciples are made, and we're going to talk about two things. One, preparation for being a disciple maker, and then the practice of being a disciple maker. Last week, uh, Jeff said it so well that only Jesus makes disciples, but he makes disciples through other disciples. And so that means my ability to make a disciple can never be stronger than my relationship with Jesus because he's going to do it through me. Look at John uh, fifteen five here. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me or stays connected to me, and I to him bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. I wish I would have known this years ago because I became a disciple-making nerd for a long time. I read every book on discipleship. I looked at every church's strategy for making disciples. I listened to podcasts. I knew a lot about discipling. It just wasn't what I needed to know. Because what I discovered is not your knowledge, your training, your strategy that matters, but it's your relationship with Jesus. And so the way we prepare to be disciples is getting closer to Jesus. And so I want to review very quickly what Jeff taught us last week, because it's so fundamental to making disciples. you ignore this part, you can ignore the rest, because you want, you'll be a, a complete failure. But it is Jesus working through us. How do we abide in Christ? That's the question. Well, I want to go back to John 15. First of all, abiding in Christ is like an ongoing conversation with Jesus. We talk to him. He talks to us. I I read this year that my conversations are my relationships, and I I didn't believe that because I have relationships with a lot of people. I just don't talk to them. But the people who we really have relationships are people we interact with on a regular basis, and the same thing is true of Jesus. So, first of all, we abide in Christ by listening to Him speak to us through His Word. And, and John, uh, Jeff went over this verse if you abide in me, and my, then you are truly my disciples, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Who are Jesus' true disciples? Who? Those who continue in his word. I will never be closer to Jesus than I am to his word. I, I read about a study that was done uh, three years ago uh, by the, uh, is the Center of Biblical Engagement. And they, they surveyed 40,000 people between the ages of 8 and 80, and they just asked them, how many times per week are you engaged in the Bible? And they found out some very interesting things. They found that people that are engaged in the Bible from one to three times a week saw very little difference in their lives. But people who saw, were engaged in the Bible four or more times a week saw a tremendous difference in their lives. I wrote some of the finding here, that people who are at least four times a weekend are more feeling lonely, drop 30%. Anger issues, drop 32%. Bitterness in relationships, drop 40%. Alcoholism, drop 57%. Sex outside of marriage, drop 68%. Feeling spiritually stagnant, drop 60%. And viewing pornographic, I'm sorry, viewing pornography dropped 61%. On the positive side, sharing one's faith jumped 200%, and discipling others jumped 230%. We can't Fellowship with Jesus without fellowshipping with his word because his word is how he changes our lives The word does the work Paul says in 1st Thessalonians 2 12 he says You receive the word not as the word of men, but for what it really is the word of God Which also performs its work in you who believe and you can see how God performs his work in our lives through his word Minimum daily dose or minimum weekly dose is four times a week. The more you do it, the more. So Jesus says you, to, to be, abide in me, you have to have the word abiding in you. Now, simply reading the Bible is not enough. We also have to obey it. Look what Jesus says at the end of John 15, or in John 15. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. How much does the Father love Jesus? What would you guess? Can't love him any more than he does. Can't he? God is perfect. God is love. God loves Jesus as much as he possibly can. How much does Jesus love you? The Same. Jesus says, I love you to the degree that the Father loves me. That's encouraging, isn't it? So he says, abide in my love abide in my love. How do I abide in in God's love? Well, he tells us. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, Jesus is not saying, if you obey me, I will love you. Right? Because he just said, as the Father loves me, I love you. No, he's saying, if as you Obey me, you will experience my love. You will know my love. How? These things i spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be made full. Jesus lives in us. And when we obey him, we experience his joy. And as we experience Jesus being happy in us, our joy becomes full. And so what you'll find is as you read the Bible and then do what it says, you will discover joy. And if you're not joyful in Jesus, you're not ready to be a disciple maker. You'll just make guilty people like yourself, right? So first, we abide by coming to Jesus, listening to him, and do what he says second of all a conversation goes both ways so we not only abide in christ by listening to him through his word we abide in him by praying and talking with him jeff pointed out a couple of verses if you abide in me and my words abide in you ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you and then verse 16 You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit remain, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. We have not because we ask not. That means there's tons of stuff God wants to do in our lives and do for us if we just ask him. But prayer is is the way we abide. We abide in Christ by praying, by talking about with him everything. That's why in the early church, when they had a, a, their first big problem, they had so many widows believed and they were taking care of them and getting food for them, the apostles said, you gotta find somebody else to do this job. Because we have to devote ourselves to the ministry of the word and to prayer. Because those two activities were essential for them to fulfill a mission of making disciples. That makes me one other thing about abiding. We abide by being with other Christians. John 13, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Who are Christ's disciples? People who love other disciples. I get a lot out of the Bible when I read it by myself but I get so much more out of the Bible when I read it with other people. That's what we've seen in regeneration. I've never been in a, in a group, a, a small group of men who were so transparent, so honest about what God was doing in their lives. And as they speak about what God is teaching them, well, I, oh, I needed to hear that too. God is speaking through me. So it's those three things, listening to Christ in the Word, ask praying for for for, uh what you need and praying for disciples and then being with other christians that's the way we abide that's how you prepare to be a disciple maker and by the way you will not prepare occasionally it's what you do every day that makes the difference you will get more out of the word if you read it 10 minutes a day seven days a week then you will get if you study two hours one day and neglected the rest of the week. So start with how much time can I spend studying my Bible and praying every day without, and start at that point. That will expand as you do it more and more, but start with what you can do every day. Does that make sense? Okay, that's the end of preparation. That was all review. Now we get to, uh, the uh, how do you make disciples, and I want to take Jesus' basic training the first time he sent his disciples out and and choose four simple principles that we learn from Jesus about making disciples. And the first principle is go. Just go. As the Father sent me, I have sent you, which means that Jesus wants us to go somewhere to make disciples. It might be across the seas, it may be across the room, but we have got to go. Let's let's read this passage. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. A few weeks ago, uh, Jeff pointed out that the emotion that the Bible records of Jesus more than any other is compassion, which is encouraging to me that I know that when I'm distressed and dispirited like a sheep without a shepherd, Jesus isn't to say, you big baby, You need to put on your big boy pants and get a little backbone here. No, he feels compassion for me. He feels compassion for you. And and he feels compassion for these people because they're like sheep without a shepherd, yet they're following the good shepherd. How could Jesus see them as sheep without a shepherd when they're with him? Well, Jesus said in John 10 that that the shepherd knows the sheep and the sheep know the shepherd that you don't disciple people in mass, that people need personal attention. And so Jesus says "There's there's a big harvest here, but we need more workers. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Jesus is limited by a physical body. He can only be one place at a time. But if he sends out his disciples, they can meet people that he won't meet. They can heal people he doesn't have access to. They can preach to people who will never hear Jesus. So Jesus is multiplying his ministry by sending these guys out. Does that make sense? That's the first thing. So what's he send them out? Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. First thing I notice about making disciples here is you have to go. Being sent means you're going somewhere. You're taking the initiative to go. Let me ask you a question. You have a friend who says, will you pray for me? I want a job. I need a job. And I say, "Okay, I'd be glad to pray for you. Where have you put in your resume? My resume? Well, what kind of job are you looking for? I don't know. I haven't really looked. Well, what kind of work do you want to do? I, I just know if I pray, God will give me a job. Just pray for me. What would that person's chances of getting a job be, do you think? Zero, right? Or you, you have a friend who wants to get married. Please pray for me. I, I want a husband. I want a wife. That's great. I'll be glad to pray for you. Uh, so where are you meeting people of a quality that you wouldn't want to marry? Well, I don't. Well, are you going online to meet people? No. What are you doing? I'm praying. I'm praying that God will bring that right woman into my life. What are their chances that they're going to be married in a year? Zero. 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 Why? And the same is true of making disciples. I can pray all day long God, please send me somebody to disciple. Please send me somebody from my neighborhood to say, I heard you're a Christian. I'd like to become a Christian too. Can you tell me how to do it? That doesn't happen. I tried it. You have to go. You have to go. And there's two reasons for that. First of all, God is in the process of making his disciples like Jesus. And Jesus didn't wait in heaven and say, well, whenever you want to come to me, come. No, he came to us because love always makes the first move. And he takes on our human bodies and our limitations so that he can reveal the true God to us. He comes to us, and he says, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. That means I have to go, too. And also, going re- requires faith. And because it's not what I do, but what Christ does through me, if I'm not exercising faith and depending on him, I will never see him work through me. So I've got to step out on faith and say, here we go, Lord. You're going to have to give me the words here. I'll, I'll start. You take over from there. Does that make sense? So, the first principle of making disciples wherever you are is you've got to go. Now, let me ask you a question. Where do you have the most access to unbelievers right now? Work. To work, school, your gym, your neighborhood, your family? Who are you going to reach out to? Where do you have the most access to Christians? Probably your community group, if you're in one. If you're in a community group, I would say have coffee with somebody in the group, share your test, share what Christ has done in your life, then ask them, would you would you be interested in getting together regularly just to read the Bible together and tell it, share what we're learning. That's all making disciples is. It's reaching out to to Christians and reaching out to non-Christians. Really making disciples involves what we call evangelism and what we call disciple-making. It's all the same thing. It's just helping people to grow in their knowledge of Christ and trust Him and follow Him. That's all disciple-making is. And we start by going, by taking the first step. Well, what do you do when you go? That brings us to the second principle, show and tell. As you go, preach. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, Cleanse the leopards, cast out demons, freely receive, freely give. Jesus says, as you go, just do what you've been watching me do. Preach what you heard me preach. Heal like you've seen me heal. Just do good deeds, good works. They're like two wings of a plane. Uh, The plane needs both to fly. And to make disciples, we need to be doing good works. We need to be giving good words. Now, the church has been really good at one or the other over time, but very seldom has put the two together. For a while, the church was really good at preaching good works. or preaching I'm sorry, preaching good words. But uh, gradually, people said, well, you, you say that, but you don't live it. Other times, the church has been really good at doing good. They just don't tell people why they do it. And so people just say, oh, they're do-gooders. I'm glad they're here, but most of the time we don't do either. And we just blend in with it because we're like everybody else and nobody becomes a Christian. For, people, for disciples to be made, we have to be doing good and speaking good. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your fathers in heaven. To make disciples, people need to see us doing good. They also need to understand that the reason we do good is because of who God is, that he's a good God. Remember the story of of the man born blind in John 9? Jesus' disciples see a man born blind, and they say, Tell us, is this man blind? Was he born blind because of his sin or because of his parents' sin? And Jesus says it wasn't because of his sin or his parents' sin, but that the works of God may be manifested in him. And Jesus heals the man. So here's the question. What are the works of God? The works of God are improving people's lives. Right? every miracle that jesus performed was to improve somebody's life because god is good and we need to demonstrate the goodness of god so that people will put their trust in him that god wants your best god wants to bless you but how will they know that if they don't see that through his followers that's the idea here um so how do we show and tell i've i've uh I asked a few of my friends how they did that. And there's really as many reasons as there are people. There's not a a prescribed way. But let me just, a lot of you know Lita Wong, who uh, pastors down in Fremont, we support him. And I asked Lita the other day, I said, Lita, tell me, how do you meet people? And how do you do good? And he said, well, I go to the gym three times a week. And I work out for an hour and a half there. And during that time, I'll meet uh, men if they're open to a friendship as we talk. I'll ask them for coffee. We'll go out for coffee and I'll I'll share a little bit about what I'm doing, share about the Bible and see if they're interested in continuing on. He said, uh, my wife, Jess, about a year ago, she started a, uh, a women's book group off of a mothering app and, and all the women that joined it were refugees. They were all looking for, for friendship, for foster. And they've been together for a year. They get together every week, and they just read books on mothering, I guess, and uh, how to be a great mom and stuff like that. But most of the families in their little church have come through that group. He said... In figuring out what to do. I I just get this newsletter every week. Uh, uh, Let me write it. Uh, He wrote it down. It's the uh, Compassion Refugee Newsletter that's put out in Fremont. And he says, I just look at what people need. And people are all refugees. They're coming here. They don't have, they need furniture. They need a car. They need a a job. And we'll find one of them that, that we can help them. And we'll just go do that. And a lot of the people in their church have come through them just doing good. I asked my buddy Eric how he does evangelism, and, and he, has a, he's, he loves questions. He says, uh, well, you know, Jesus, in the scripture, Jesus asked 340 questions, and he answered eight questions. <laughs> so I'm going to be like Jesus. So, so one of the things he likes to ask people, he says, what do you do for a living? And they'll say, well, I'm an eighth grade teacher. And Wow, that's a tough job. And He'll say, why do you do that? He says, I don't know, I just care about kids. And then he'll tell them, you know, I believe that God wants to bless people. And one of the ways he blesses people is by putting it in the hearts of each of us how we can bless other people. And, uh, and he just sees where the conversation goes from there. He's giving them a whole different perspective in their life. They could be a tool of God, even though they don't even believe in God, to, to bless people. That's why they have this desire um, one of the things he does with Uber drivers I love this he, he'll say you know Jesus talked about a shepherd who had 100 sheep and he lost one of them and so he left the 99 and went and searched for the one he lost and then he'll ask him do you ever feel like Jesus is searching for you and he said he hears some of the most amazing stories of, yeah you know, now that you mention it I, and he could take it from there or he'll ask people, uh, uh, what do you want? What is it that you really want? And as they share the, their deepest desires, he will say, you know, Jesus promises to give us that. Can I show you where that is in the Bible? He just uses questions to get to people. My friend Jerry, he just makes friends with old guys who don't have friends. <laughs> Which is true of all old guys, right? That we. <laughs> I mean, we've been working all our lives. We don't have time to make friends. But now we suddenly realize, wow, I don't have anybody I can talk to. So he just provides a place. They can, He asks some questions and listens to them and stuff like that. Do good. Say good. Show and tell. That's what God calls us to do. Doesn't have to be special or, or clever or anything like that. Just be yourself. Trust God and see what he does. What I do is I just get in conversations with people and as I get in that, con- and for me it's an act of faith because I don't have time for that conversation. I've got, I've got a plan for the day and it doesn't involve talking to this person. But uh, as I step out on faith and just start talking to them, and often the conversations will come around to issues that the Bible addresses. It's amazing how Jesus does that. Third, here's the third principle. Travel Light. Travel light. Look what Jesus says to his disciples. He's sending these 12 out to do what he does. Got the picture? Do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belts, or a bag for your journey, or even two coats or sandals or a staff. Don't take money, don't take luggage, don't take extra extra food, why? for the, word that the worker is worthy of his support. Now, that's not the way I would do it. I would say, get a lot of money, take along lots of clothes so that you're going to be prepared for whatever happens. But Jesus says just the opposite. Why? Because he wants to make them totally dependent on God and on the generosity of strangers. That's what he does. And so that tells me that as you go, we go in dependence on God. See, there's two big barriers to making disciples. First barrier is self-confidence. I can make disciples because I have been trained, because I know the Bible, because I've done it before. Who makes disciples? Jesus. Who does Jesus use to make disciples? Totally inadequate, dependent people. And here's what happens when you depend on yourself, your confidence, that only lasts until you get in the situation, and all of a sudden you start getting afraid. Wow, I don't know if I know the answer to that. I don't know if I can do that. And your confidence is shaken. So Jesus sends them out totally dependent on God and to overcome that, that first great barrier. The other, the other barrier to making disciples is lack of intimacy between us and the people we're trying to reach. They don't know us. We don't know them. They don't, and, and as a result, a relationship can never be formed. So Jesus makes them dependent on God and on the people they're going to be reaching to have that intimate relationship because that's the only way that they'll see the difference he's made in their lives and the only way they'll see how the gospel applies to their lives. Does that make sense? I've been guilty of the second one a lot. Well, I've been guilty of both of them. But the second one more lately of just not getting close enough to people to really know them so I can see how Christ can work in their lives. Does that make sense? So travel light. What does that mean for us? It means not complicating the simple. Realizing all you need to make a disciple is a relationship with Jesus and the word of God. That in this information age, it's easy to think, I need more training, I need more information, I need more materials, I need more books, I, no. All you need is the Bible, you got that. That's what does the work. Trust that and depend on, on Christ. We are the most useful when we're the most dependent. That's true of churches. When, when we started Creekside, we knew that if we didn't reach people, our church history was going to be very short and I was going to have to find a real job. Um, so. So our focus that first year or two was reaching people for Christ, and we did. We reached quite a few. Well, God reached them through us. But then, you know, you hire staff, and you get a building, and you get programs, and pretty soon you stop focusing on reaching people, it loses its priority because your survival isn't, isn't dependent on it, and you just become a comfortable church, and you begin to die. That's... that's that's the history of the church in, one, in five minutes. There. So anyway, we've got to be dependent on him. Here's the last one, last principle. Stay where the fish are biting. Stay where the fish are biting. Look what Jesus says. Whatever city or village you enter, inquire who is worthy in it and stay at his house until you leave that city. As you enter the house, give it your greeting. If the house is worthy... Give it your blessing of peace. But if it is not worthy, take back your blessing of peace. Whoever does not receive you nor heed your words as you go out of that house or that city, shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for the city. Jesus sends out his disciples in pairs, and he says the first thing you do when you get to a village is look for somebody you can stay with. Look for uh, a community leader or somebody that's good at, at knows lots of people and stuff. Find somebody who is open to you. And if they're open to you, stay with them. Don't move from house to house. Stay there with them. Eat what they give you and heal people. Preach to their friends. Heal the people they bring to you. Just you, That's where you start. On the other hand, if you go to a village and nobody wants you, don't stay there and argue or, or pontificate. Uh, leave where you're not welcome. Just stay where you are. Go where people are responding, leave when people are not. That's the idea here. And and you see, the apostles did this in the book of Acts. They went where people were open to the gospel. They left when they weren't open to the gospel. They spent their time with people who wanted to hear, who knew their need, and wanted to know Christ. That's what we do. We go, make friends. Look for people who are open to a relationship with you. If you're starting off in your neighborhood, pick the friendliest person in the neighborhood and become their friend, because you'll meet a lot more people through them and by ministering to them and by serving them than you will by going on your own. Does that make sense? So go where the fruit is. Go where the fish are biting. Avoid the places where God can reach them later. Now, a lot of people will be open to a relationship with you, but not interested in spiritual things. That's okay. That's just a, long, uh, a long-term, low-pressure relationship. You still do them good. You still be their friend. But look for the people that are open to a relationship with you and concentrate on them. Does that make sense? Jesus says, as the Father sent me, I send you. Have you been sent? Well, we think, I can't do that. And Jesus says, that's why I'm going along. I'll give you the ability I'll give you the power I'll give you the authority I don't know what to do do good serve people's needs make their life better and tell them about the God that you serve I don't know enough of course you don't but I don't use people who have been trained I use people who trust me I don't know where to begin Jesus says make a friend concentrate on them I've tried, but nobody's interested. You're not responsible to make them listen. You're just responsible to talk to people who want to listen and move on from those who don't. You can't make a disciple, but Christ can. But he only does it through other disciples. You see the dilemma? So he sent out inadequate people so that we will trust him and depend on him let's pray lord jesus thank you for the great responsibility you've given to represent you you know how inadequate we are for this and the apostles felt inadequate and your disciples felt inadequate and yet you use them we pray that you'll use us we pray in jesus name amen